Welcome to this final episode of the third series of the Pump Court Family Law Podcast. I'm Tara Lyons and today I'm joined by Oliver Pearson from Pump Court. He's going to be talking me through Baroness Deitch's controversial divorce financial provision bill, which was reintroduced to the House of Lords on the 19th of July 2021 and proposes sweeping reforms to the Matrimonial Causes Act. Oliver Pearson is a highly regarded family practitioner specialising in financial remedies and private law children cases, and he's also an arbitrator. So who better to talk me through this topic? Welcome, Oliver. Hi, Tara. So, Oliver, what is the bill and where where has it come from? Well, this bill was introduced to the House of Lords by Baroness Deitch in 2017, It's in a a second form. Uh, She uh, proposed an earlier version of the bill in about 2012 or 2013. Uh, Baroness Deitch is an academic lawyer and cross-bench life peer, uh, and she's been pressing for reform of financial remedies for for some time now. And what, what does the bill deal with? Well, the bill proposes a wholesale amendment. Well, it proposes a wholesale amendment of Section 25 of the Matrimonial Courses Act. Uh, It's based on the Scottish system and similar to to a number of other systems uh, in in Europe. Uh, And it's been in place in Scotland since the the mid-1980s. Now, the very first clause, uh, clause one, uh, subclause one, uh, boldly sweeps away Section 25.2. Now, Section 25.2, as you know, is the, the list of matters to which the court is to have regard and it replaces uh, those those factors with a set of three principles uh, to be applied. So there are three headline principles in in the bill. Yes. Well, what are those three headline principles? Well, the the first one is uh, relates to prenuptial and and postnuptial agreements. Uh, it's uh, similar to the. Uh, the Law Commission proposal for qualifying nuptial agreement, but but differs in a couple of of important ways, and and, um, I'll I'll come on to that. But but Mm. what uh, the bill provides is that a signed nuptial agreement is binding on the parties, or would be binding on the parties, unless uh, it attempts to impose an obligation on a third party who has not agreed in advance to be bound by it, uh, or uh, one of the parties has neither received legal advice nor had an adequate opportunity to do so before the agreement was made. Uh, in the case of a prenuptial agreement, uh, if it was made less than 21 days before the marriage, uh, if there was a failure to make proper disclosure before the agreement was made, or if the agreement is unenforceable under any rule of law relating to the validity or enforceability of contracts generally. So that's duress and, and undue influence. And, and mistake and, and uh, those facts. So it's, it's, it's similar to the requirements proposed by the Law Commission. Uh, the way that it differs is that uh, the, uh, the Law Commission's proposal for a qualifying nuptial agreement uh, would require a party to receive legal advice, whereas under Baroness Deitch's bill, a, a party only has to have had an adequate opportunity to receive the, uh, legal advice. Right. The other uh, very important difference is that under the Law Commission proposals, a nuptial agreement will only be binding if it meets needs. So the court retains Mm. a residual discretion to consider the effect 
of, of a nuptial agreement. And if it doesn't meet needs to make different provision that does meet needs. Now there's no yeah. such caveat in, in Baroness Deach's bill. So the court would have no discretion to consider no. uh, whether the agreement meets needs and, and to make any different order. So it is, yeah. as long as the, the, the five conditions are met, um, the, the, uh, the nuptial agreement would be binding on the parties. So there is no overarching concept of fairness uh, under under this bill when it comes to nuptial agreements? No, so the, 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 there's a concept in fair, of fairness in, in the way that the nuptial agreement is entered into. So the, the requirement yes. to, to have an adequate opportunity to, to receive legal advice, uh, proper disclosure, the, the, and, and the, the, the other factors. But in terms of the fairness uh, of the effect of putting the nuptial agreement into effect, there is no overarching um, discretion for the court to to um, to, to adjust the, the provision to to meet to, to, to meet fairness or to meet needs. Obviously, at the moment, the current state of the law is that provided the agreement was entered into fairly and the overall effect of it is fair, that it will be upheld. Um, but the courts have the power, don't they? Um, if they feel that the agreement doesn't go so far as to meet need, to sort of tinker with it, to, to follow the spirit of the agreement whilst not following the exact provisions of it. But under this uh, bill, there would be no sort of halfway house. Is that right? That's right. So un under the, the, the current, um, the way that uh, nuptial agreements are currently approached by the court is that they will be upheld unless it would be unfair to uphold them. And what the court is really looking for is, is um, whether or not uh, putting the agreement into effect as, as drafted would put one or other party in a predicament of real need. So the court isn't starting with a, a blank sheet of paper to consider how, how it ought to meet the party's needs. It's looking to avoid a predicament of real need. Whereas yeah. uh, under this, this bill, uh, there would be no such exercise. Simply, the, the court simply wouldn't be able to to relieve uh, a party from a predicament of real need arising for, from putting into effect the, the nuptial agreement. So do you think, or do you foresee that that's going to make cases involving a prenuptial agreement much more of a box ticking exercise? Um, or do you think it's going to give rise to significant disputes nonetheless? Well, it, the only dispute that there can be is, is, is a dispute that arises from the circumstances in, in which the, the nuptial agreement was, was um, entered into. So mm. the, there can only be a dispute about um, legal advice or uh, disclosure yeah. or um, fraud or duress or undue influence. Um, mm. there, there, can't, there, there can't be a dispute about the effect of, of that, mm. that nuptial agreement on a divorce. And so, I mean, obviously, Baroness Deach there is looking to um, give the parties the, the sort of power or control to, to regulate their own finances fully by entering yes. into nuptial agreements. Do you think then that the fact that there will be no requirement for fairness when it comes to nuptial agreements will lead to there being 
uh, far more unfair results if nuptial agreements are upheld or binding? Inevitably, if, if th there is no residual discretion for, for the court to consider the fairness of a nuptial agreement, there are going to be unfair nuptial agreements that are put into effect. Because in order to get out of it, a party is going to have to show that the agreement was made under duress, there was fraud, there was a mistake, and they're very high hurdles to prove, aren't they? They are very high hurdles to prove, uh, and I, I think that um, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where uh, vulnerable or, or mm. economically um, insecure parties are, are going to find mm. themselves put into that predicament of real need that the court is able to avoid um, under the current regime with its, its, its wide jurisdiction to, to um, adjust the, the terms of a nuptial agreement to, to avoid those, those predicaments. And what I also wonder is whether, if the bill was introduced, there would be far less of a requirement for a review clause, because we're all very conscious now, aren't we, of including review course, uh, clauses, so that particularly when a couple has married very early and you can't predict how their relationship is going to to, to go and what's going to happen and how that will impact on the finances. We're very careful, aren't we, to say, well, okay, let's review this in five years time or let's review this after uh, the children are born. If fairness isn't a, a factor in the agreement, I suspect that that review clause might become fairly redundant. Yes, um, it, it, the, the the reason that we, we draft review clauses into nuptial agreements at the moment, as you've, as you've identified, is, is actually for, for, for both parties, um, mm. for uh, the, the economically uh, weaker party, it, it enables uh, him or her to, to ensure that uh, the agreement is still relevant to uh, the, the circumstances and, and still meets uh, needs that have arisen as a result of changes uh, in, in the previous five years. So whether that's a change in, in um, employment circumstances or ill health mm. or uh, the birth of, of, of more children, uh, the, mm. the um, agreement can be adjusted to, to reflect those changes. The, the other party wants to ensure that an agreement is going to be upheld if, if it ever comes to that because it's it's fair and continues to meet needs. So both parties mm. have an interest in ensuring that, that a nuptial agreement is, is, re is reviewed from, from, from time to time. Um, if mm. you are, are in a, a new regime, Baroness Dietz's regime, regime, where the court has no ability to um, impose alternative um, outcomes to, to, to those mm. set out in, in the nuptial agreement, then there's, there's certainly no motivation from the person who stands to benefit from the most uh, from, from a nuptial agreement to, to review its terms. Mm. And so what's the second principle that, that Baroness Beach um, provides for in her bill? Well, the, the second principle is that, that orders or, or capital orders are limited to matrimonial property. And now she defines matrimonial property as, as property, including pensions, that uh, are acquired during the marriage, otherwise than by gift or inheritance, and uh, property that does not directly or indirectly derive from property acquired before the marriage. There, there is different treatment of the matrimonial home, um, as there is under the current regime, 
but it's not the same as, as the treatment under the current regime. What uh, Baroness Deitch proposes is, is that if a matrimonial home was acquired before the marriage for use as a home by the parties, it should be treated as if it were acquired during the marriage. So a, a property that is purchased during the parties' cohabitation uh, with the intention that they will live in it as a home, it's treated as matrimonial property. Right. Uh, but if, if uh, it's purchased before cohabitation was anticipated, it doesn't become matrimonial property. So if one or other party brings a property into the relationship that they've owned for some time before cohabitation and the parties move into it and then they get married, no matter how central to their relationship that matrimonial mm. home becomes, it does not become matrimonial property. And, 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 what, and, and, then and what, presumably what, that's the case, Oliver, no matter how many years the parties are married. I mean, under uh, this bill, would that be the case 30 years later? That would be the case uh, 30 years later. Now, there are um, some provisions in there that enable um, non-matrimonial property to partly become uh, matrimonial property. So if, if one party um, works or uh, spends money on increasing the value of a non-matrimonial asset, then a proportionate share of the value of that non-matrimonial asset becomes matrimonial uh, property. So if, if a, the way I read it is that if uh, one party brings in um, his previous property into the marriage and it becomes a, a matrimonial home, it, 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 it doesn't become not non-matrimonial property, but if, sorry, it doesn't become matrimonial property, yes. uh, but if, uh, for example, the parties uh, refurbish that property or put an extension on that property and that is funded from the party's matrimonial um, savings or, or is, is done with their matrimonial endeavours, then yes. I suppose a bit like a, a resulting trust kind of approach, then a proportion of the value, of the, the higher value of that property, if you like, becomes, it becomes matrimonial and, and um, is then available. So it's not... But, so it's not the case that the whole property is then converted to matrimonial property. It's just that elements of it, as you say, much like the resulting trust type situation uh, would be deemed matrimonial. Yes, it's, it's, it's done proportionately, yeah. um, uh, as in, 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 in proportion. What, what it says is that a proportionate share by value of that asset should be treated as matrimonial mm. property. So that's proportionate to the um, the 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 matrimonial property that's been applied to enhance the the value of mm. that asset so mm. a, a portion of the matrimonial property that's been applied to enhance the value of what would otherwise be non-matrimonial property and so what baroness deitch um, proposes is that orders can only be made in respect of matrimonial property regardless of need right so the court can divide matrimonial property and it can divide matrimonial property unequally. And I'll, I'll come on to, to, to that in, in a moment. But it, it cannot invade non-matrimonial property, regardless of need. So clause, clause four of, of the, the, the bill provides that the net value of that matrimonial property, so net value being pro um, property less debt, so the net value of matrimonial property is to be shared fairly between the parties. And, and the, the bill provides that the starting point is an equal division. And the only grounds for departure from an equal division are the parties' agreement. Now that might be 
um, a, a, an agreement that's that's uh, recorded in a, a in a nuptial agreement, or uh, destruction, dissipation, or alienation of matrimonial property. So that's an add back uh, type type approach, or yeah. the needs of any children of the family under twenty one. So there can be an unequal division of matrimonial property on the basis of, of those um, th those three grounds for departure, but there can be no invasion of non-matrimonial property. So an example okay. of, of how that, that might work is that uh, you have a, let's say have a couple who are married late in life, they've both been married before, um, they're, they're, they're both retired. Uh, the wife moves into the, the large home that the husband um, has owned for, for some years and, and bought into the marriage. The wife has no assets of her own. Husband is living off his generous final salary pension and substantial savings all accrued before the marriage. Wife is, is living off her, her state pension. Neither party is economically active. They're, they're not working. They're not accruing any further assets or, or further pension. Mm. Uh, they're married, let's say, 10 years. So it's a, it's a medium length marriage. Yeah. Now, the husband's home, because it was not acquired as a home for the parties, is non-matrimonial yes. property. Yeah. The fact that it's been central to their relationship for 10 years doesn't matter. Yeah. The husband's pension was all acquired before the marriage. So the wife has no claim for a pension sharing order. Savings all acquired before the marriage. So that's not matrimonial yeah. property. Yeah. The, 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 in, in that case, there is no matrimonial property to be, to be divided. So yeah. the, the wife would leave the marriage with no capital and no pension sharing order. And as we'll come on, on to, she would have a, a, a time limited claim for periodical payments. Yeah. So another example, so for the other end of, of the, the age spectrum, you have a mm. younger couple. The husband is, is a good earner. The wife has, has no assets. She has a low earning capacity. Um, she, the husband brought his, his bachelor fat in, flat into the marriage that the parties lived in for a few years as a matrimonial home. Uh, they have children, they grow out of the, the bachelor flat. So they, they, they buy uh, a, a bigger home jointly to live in during the marriage. But the husband keeps his, his bachelor flat and yeah. it, it becomes a, a, a buy to let, a, a rental investment. So they, yeah. they, they buy the family home with a small deposit and a big mortgage. Yeah. Now, let's say they too are married for, for 10 years and they have uh, have two children yeah. on divorce the only property is the family home and if that hasn't got much equity well absolutely so the, the court can divide yeah. that unequally because yeah we have some some children un, under 21 years of, of age but even if the wife has all of it yeah. she doesn't have the mortgage capacity to enable her to meet her housing need and that of the children yeah so, Baron, Baroness Deitch would say, well, that's what Schedule 1 of the, the, the Children Act is for. And of course, the wife would have an application under Schedule 1 of the Children Act for some further provision, uh, but that would, would revert to the husband uh, once the children attain their majority. I mean, isn't that uh, going to make Baroness Deitch's aim of streamlining proceedings and cutting out sort of um, lots of lawyers time and court time it isn't having two sets of running proceedings going to make it more costly and more complicated and more litigious and and more delayed yes but 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 i dare say that baroness deach would say that the two examples that i have given are, are outliers 
and, yeah. and, and don't reflect the vast majority of, of, of cases where um, having certainty and predictability is yeah. is, uh, is more important than than having the the very wide discretion and flexibility that the judges are presently able to exercise and that's mm. that's the uh, that, that's the balance that, that has to be struck and there are going to be winners and, and there are going to be losers it, 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 but it's very difficult to say um, whether the, uh, the, the 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 winners would would um, outweigh the, the the losers. The people she's trying to protect, the people she says she's trying mm. to protect, in particular, are, are, are um, the, the, the 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 litigants in person who who are, are no longer qualify for for legal aid because you you can no longer get legal aid simply on the basis of of means testing, um, and. Mm. That those litigants in person are are coming before the court and having to navigate the the the, the maze of of authorities um, that have have uh, which, which now form the the the, the legal background or the legal basis for, for the determination of, of of matrimonial finance disputes and really just pay mm. lip service baroness deitch would say to the provisions of, of section 25 section 25 of the matrimonial causes act what baroness baroness deitch wants to do for those people is to provide for them a a, a regime contained in in a, a statute that they can turn to and read through the, the the statute and at the end of it have have a a clear idea of, of what the the outcome of their their uh, financial remedies case is going to be that's going to enable them to approach the the other side who who may or may not uh, also be a litigant in person and 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 be able to negotiate with with confidence as to the the likely outcome. If we then just deal with um, the third main uh, principle that, that Baroness Deitch envisages through her bill, and that is uh, spousal periodical payments, can you tell us a little bit about that, Oliver? Yes. So the the, the third principle relates to, to spousal periodical payments, and, and what it provides is that. Uh, periodical payments can be awarded uh, to enable a party who has been dependent to a substantial degree on the financial support of the other party to adjust to the loss of that support over a period of not more than five years, unless the receiving party would suffer serious hardship. So, so there is there is some some scope, some discretion to uh, extend that five years, but only if the, uh, the, the, the party receiving maintenance would, would otherwise suffer serious hardship. Is there any definition within the bill of what amounts to serious hardship or is that something that's going to have to be dealt with through the cases? There, there's no definition. Um, it is just simply said as simply put as, as serious hardship. So it, 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 that sounds greater, doesn't it, than, than the undue hardship that Section 25A of the Matrimonial yeah. Causes Act uh, seeks to avoid. And, and, and we know that, that, that some hardship is acceptable. Um, but but serious hardship sounds sounds uh, rather more hard. Sounds like rather more hardship than than undue uh, undue hardship. So, so so putting the onus on a party if they want or require more than five years of maintenance to have to pa pass the, the the burden of proving serious hardship. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's the hurdle that they have got to yeah. to overcome. Now it may well be that, um, but if this this bill were to um, 
to, to become law that by, by the time it's enshrined in in a in a statute that serious hardship would be um would be better defined and we, we could we would have a a clearer idea of of what amounts to to, to serious hardship but but it, as it stands it in as the bill is worded it's it's stated as serious hardship and, and left at that well obviously under um section 25 there is already the the um, tendency or steer towards a clean break. How yeah. do you think that Baroness Deitch's provisions sit with that and the section, uh, the 1975 Act more generally? Well, there's no, there's no steer towards, specifically towards a, a, an immediate clean break. Um, the, mm. the 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 uh, emphasis is on a a short period, a shortish period, mm. five years, to to adjust to independence, where a party has has been dependent on the other party for for or to to a substantial extent during the course of the uh, the marriage, and in fact, this part of the bill does bring back in um, mm. some of the factors that were were, were swept away. Uh, by clause one one, uh, so we're, right. We're, so the factors that we 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 are familiar with it within in section twenty five two. So this these are the factors that the court takes into account when deciding whether and in what terms to order periodical payments. So the familiar ones are the age, health, and earning capacity of the receiving party, uh, and the needs and resources of of both parties. So we're used to working with that. Um, others are, are unfamiliar. So where we're used to taking into account the duration of the the marriage um, now, or un, under the the the, the bill, the, the court would take into account the duration and extent of the dependence. Mm. Um, it, it would also take into account again, this is new, any intention of the receiving party to undertake a course of education or training. So there we see the mm. emphasis on looking to see how a dependent party could move towards financial independence by uh, by education or, or training. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the final factor, again, in, in, in a new one in terms of a statutory provision would be um, any support available from, from a third party. Um, now, conduct is, is mentioned, um, but, but what is said is that the conduct is, is not to be taken into account unless either the conduct has had financial consequences or it would be manifestly inequitable to to ignore the conduct. So actually, not not dissimilar to the way that contact is contact conduct is is a, a, approached under the under the current regime. Well, I'm I'm thinking about um, this kind of cut off of five years, and I know historically it was three years, wasn't it, in an earlier uh, carnation of the bill. Yes, and um, it's three years in Scotland. So Scot Scotland uh, has, has yeah. a, 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 a three-year period for, for periodical payments, and so this this is this is about ending the the meal ticket for life. Well, I can see that there's very much an aim, and it's been reported that that this is aimed at uh, stopping this idea of a meal ticket for life. But there are other cases, aren't there? Um, in which five years just may not be sufficient maintenance. And the two examples I can think of are one where there are, there's a wife, let's say, with um, very young children, perhaps multiple children, three or four, where actually 
she's had to give up work to care for these children. And five years is not going to be a sufficient amount of time for uh, those children to um, get into uh, either um, full-time education uh, or, or um, sufficiently senior uh, education so that actually she can divulge some of her childcare responsibilities. That's one example where it might create unfairness, isn't it, Ollie? It could create unfairness. The question is, is whether that amounts to serious hardship. And it yeah. may do. And that's, yeah. that's, the, that, that, that's, that's really, it's very difficult to, to assess the extent to which unfairness might result in some cases from the proposed provision, because the, 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 the um, safety net that Baroness Deitch has drafted into the bill is 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 the serious mm. the, the serious hardness uh, sorry the serious hardship <laughs> safe, serious hardship safety net, and and that may or may not apply in um in in the sort of case that you were you were talking about now, as as I said before that that may be provided for in 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 a statute if this bill gets that far it may be something that that will be. Um, led by by judges and and that will have a a definition of serious hardship that mm. that catches the sort of case that you're you're talking about. Yeah. Now, I I I, I, um, I was at the Atalanta conference in 2019 where Baroness Deitch spoke about her bill and, and and what she said in relation to to um, periodical payments and and her bill she said that she wanted to end forever the notion that a wife has no obligation to keep herself or her family and that she feared that the hard-won advantages in higher education and careers for women will be undermined by ge the general accept acceptance that she won't have to work now you're not talking about cases where um, a, 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 a wife or, or indeed a, a husband is expecting to to leave the marriage and and uh, put her feet up for the rest of her life yeah. and, and be maintained by the husband. You're talking yeah. about uh, situations where uh, a woman's a wife is is an ex-wife is is simply unable to provide for herself because of um, the children that that she has or the the, the years that she's taken out of uh, out of exactly. work work. And that with those children, she's, she's not realistically going to be able to commit enough time to uh, to, to retrain and and uh, claw her way back up the, the the career ladder. And I think that's yeah. very different to this idea that that, that uh, Baroness Deitch is, is trying to deal with that that uh, a, a wife shouldn't feel she has no obligation, or, or society shouldn't perceive that a wife has no obligation to keep her herself or or her family. It's, it's a very real situation um, that, that that and a very common a, one. A very common one where where you have potential a, a, a disadvantage that is 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 um, has, has arisen as a result of of the decisions mm. that the parties made in the relationship and 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 doesn't end when the relationship ends and may not end at the end of the five year period that that um, Baroness Deitch um, would 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 have imposed except in, in cases yeah. of, of serious hardship. And the other example I was thinking of was uh, a couple who had separated after 30 years or so and, and during the marriage, the wife or husband um, ha had cared for the children for the majority as a choice that they jointly made during the, the marriage. And so mm -hmm. 
although they'd returned to work, their earning capacity was much lower. And there are often examples, aren't they, where that that party needs ongoing maintenance to tide them over to pensionable age, which may not be in less than five years time. Um, and that's an yeah, example so where someone, you know, has gone out to, to find the work, but their earning capacity is limited by their their circumstances. Yes, well, that, that, no matter that, that, how hard that, they try. I mean, they're, they're the sort of sort of wives who I think we, we used to refer to as Flavel wives. From the case of Flavel and Flavel, yeah. so uh, wives who are are in their in their fifties have been dependent on on the, the husband throughout the marriage. Uh, children are, are are grown up now, but mm. um, the the damage to the earning capacity has has been done, and, and there is, is very little that could be done to to um, to remedy that situation in, in terms of, of of retraining. And and the only work that's that's likely to be available is is fairly um, yeah fairly low paid low paid work and and um is is it fair that that at the end of five years um that 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 that, that wife is is expected to, to fend for herself um yeah. in, in circumstances where she can probably make ends meet um yes from 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 that that um low paid work assuming that uh, there was enough matrimonial property to divide to enable her to rehouse herself yeah. mortgage free because the difficulty of being in it for either party being in their 50s is is their mortgage effect mortgage, mortgage capacity is is affected not only by their low earnings in, in her case yeah. but also by the, the relatively short period of time over which uh, she, she has to to uh, repay that mortgage so assuming she's able to to house mortgage free the fact that she can just about make ends meet is is, is probably yeah. the sort of of, of um outcome that, that wouldn't amount to, to serious hardship and in fact no may not uh, may not amount to one due hardship either under the current yeah. but would lead to two very different standards of living yes um and so how has this bill been received oliver so it 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 had a, a a fairly easy sale through the House of Lords and garnered quite a lot of support. So uh, Baroness Shackleton is is a, a notable uh, example of a, a member of, of the profession who who supports the bill. Indeed, sponsors the bill. Uh, it was uh, supported by by Lord Walker, former Supreme Court judge. Lord Mackay, the former Lord Chancellor, said. Why do the government not get on with it? The bill is so obviously sensible and sooner or later it will be the law. Um, but, but on the other hand, apart from some, some uh, notable examples or vocal examples like Baroness Shackleton, it, it, it hasn't generally been received well by the, the legal profession. It, it's difficult to mm. find an article by a, 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 a member of the legal profession that is, is, uh, is positive about it. Mm. Um, although... <laughs> Baroness Deitch at that same conference, the 2019 At A Glance conference, uh, did say that uh, of, of lawyers, barristers in particular, and bearing in mind she was talking to a room full of barristers, she said that it saddened her that family law barristers cannot put forward a single reform that they would like to see, and that their attitude reminded her of the solicitor's take on conveyancing and, and whiplash changes. Uh, and she reported that, that one very senior judge, who didn't say who, but one very senior judge had said to her of senior family law barristers, that they are blinded by their own self-interest. So that, that, that's, that, I think, is, is, is uh, her, her response to the fact that, that there hasn't been 
a, 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 a great reception to her proposals by by the legal profession. Mm. Uh, Lady Hale has has uh, spoken out uh, vocally a, against it, um, prompting Baroness Deitch to call to call Lady Hale matronising. Mm. Um, so it's it's uh, it, it's it's had a, a, a mixed profession, certainly for sorry a, a mixed reception, certainly from from the legal uh, legal profession, a, a largely negative response mm. the government um don't support it uh, so it, it, and the, the bill is now in the house of commons so it's made its way through the right. house of lords had its first reading in the house of commons and it's awaiting a date for for second reading and and debate and uh, that, that that's a, I, I, I have no idea how long how long it'll wait no, for that. so the, 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 the so, government have expressed their concern that it could cause heart could cause hardship Mm. And, and that's 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 what we know about the, um, the, the the government's the government's view of it. So watch this space. Watch this um, space, and I and and what it comes down to. So the 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 the, the competing argument that, that, that are whether the certainty of, of a one size yeah. fits all approach is more valuable than a flexible, uh, mm. tailor made, uh, discretionary solution. And I've given examples of, of the, the unfairness that can be caused in, in mm. a number of cases or certain cases of that one size fits all approach. The, the question is whether um, mm. the, 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 the majority of cases would, be, would, would benefit from it and whether it would mm. take pressure off, off the legal system. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you, Oliver. That's been really interesting. Uh, and that brings us to the end of our third series of the Pump Court Family Law podcast. Um, we're going to be taking a short break, but we'll be back, uh, Mark Ablett and I, with series four in due course. If anyone has any ideas for topics, we'd love to hear from you. Please do email either Mark or I, my email address is t.lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, at pumpcourtchambers.com and we'd love to hear some new ideas. Thank you. Mm -hmm.